Uh, you're in for a special treat today. Those of you who don't know my wife, Dory, um, you will be blessed today. Uh, I met her when she was 24 at Juvenile Hall. I had been working there for like five years as a volunteer, and uh, the very first time that I saw her, she was just speaking powerfully. She was already over uh, some outreaches, uh, care and guidance at the mental hospital in San Jose. She was over the battered women's shelter, Brandon House, and uh, she was speaking a lot more than I had ever spoken. And uh, she's done conferences. When we go to MFI, I'm always like uh, wondering what's going to happen because when the prophetic hits her, she's right up there with the big guns and giving strong prophetic words. You know, over uh, there were some missionaries a year before last at our one of our MFI conferences. She went up there and had a real powerful word that was right to them. That afterwards they talked to me and they said, "Wow, you you didn't know what what you said was just right on." And uh, she's been doing. Um, Women's conferences, she's done a few over the last few years, and this next, in the next two months, she's going to do two, one with uh, Heather Lane. And I just really respect her, and uh, God put us together as a team in 1981, and uh, we've struggled with each other's personality. You know, we struggle with different things about each other, but it's like we know God has called us, and we have a real passionate burden that people come to Christ and experience all that he has for them. And so uh, you welcome my wife as she speaks. I'll never forget um, one of the first times uh, when I met Bruce's family, they were raised in church, and I wasn't. And um, I had so much shame and about my past, and I just wanted his mom and dad to think that I was just a good church girl and had never touched anything other than that. And I can remember we had an opportunity, and Bruce was speaking at the rescue mission. It was his first time to speak. And his mom and dad wanted to come and hear. And uh, when Bruce got up, he, w- he wasn't capable of really speaking. He had never spoke before. Isn't that surprising from what we're hearing now? And how it's hard for me to even be up here when Bruce has just been incredibly dynamic. And I'm enjoying his messages so much. And, but I can remember that rescue mission experience and thinking, wow, these guys need to hear something. So I used that opportunity to actually share my wild, reckless testimony because I was too chicken to talk face-to-face with Bruce's parents. And I can remember just the love that um, Bruce's mom and dad, they just, when I walked down, they just held me and um, really showed me the love of God, even though my background and my past was so completely different than Bruce's. So, you know, these testimonies were very emotional today, and I was thinking how we can read about the love of God, and we can hear about the love of God, and until we really encounter the love of God, we won't be transformed. God is in the business of transforming lives, and he wants to transform each of our lives, and it says, you know, to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. And so God wants to get past our head knowledge about who he is and make it a place in our heart, in our spirit, where we encounter the living God and we are so changed and transformed because of that experience that we're never the same. He does that in so many different ways for so many different ones of us. We saw it here. We've seen it in the church. We see it throughout the Bible. I can remember as a new Christian, I would be in in services, and I would, 
From the moment church started and worship started, I would cry. And then as the speaker would come, I would cry some more. And then as the service ended, I would cry even more. I was so overwhelmed with the goodness and the love of God that I couldn't contain myself. And that went on for years, and I'll never forget a man walked up to me, and he said, don't ever think that whatever's happening to you isn't having an effect in your life. You will never be the same. And I thought, yeah, God was taking a stone, heart of stone, and making it a heart of flesh. So in your brokenness, I say, don't ever estimate what God is doing. Don't ever estimate when you come up to this altar and you're broken that God is not doing a work in your life and transforming you. I think one of our greatest hopes is that when we get a glimpse of ourselves and our weakness and our frailties, that we will encounter God and we will truly be changed. Our lives were never meant to be a still picture but a moving video. And when I say that, I heard that comment one time and I was so impacted by it because so many times people hold us to a picture They hold us to a still photo, and we're constantly being changed, and we're to take those pictures, and we can put them in photo books, and we can remember them, but that's not life. In life, we're constantly changing, and we're constantly moving forward, and we're constantly in motion, being transformed. So don't hold anyone in a picture. Don't hold anyone in a picture, because that picture changes. I love the verse that says that God predestined us to be changed into the image of his son. There is a work of predestination that goes on in each one of our lives. And sometimes we know it and sometimes we don't. It's like a seed that gets planted. The seed is planted and we don't always necessarily see that anything is happening to that seed. But the sun shines on it. The water waters it. It's cared for and it's tended. And then eventually we begin to see something come out of that ground. And that's how it is in the things of God and the activity and the work of the Holy Spirit. It's like we're a seed. We're predestined to be changed and transformed into his image. And it's a work of grace and it's a work that will happen till the day that we die. My prayer is, Lord, do not leave us in a condition that mocks your existence. And I'll say that again. Lord, don't ever leave us in a condition that mocks your existence, that mocks who you are, because you are all powerful, you are all wonderful, and you are all glorious. I know God wants to change our lives, and I know the Bible's full of people. I remember being 21 years old, and I had this dynamic encounter with God. I was at a Billy Graham crusade. And I experienced this love of God that was so intense, I thought, wow, maybe now I can earn it because I got addicted to that feeling and that experience. And I said, I want more. So I began to strive and I began to try to earn God's love and to escape his wrath. And the weird thing that happened to me is the more that I tried to earn it, the less I began to experience it. And I'm very grateful for that today because God wanted me to know right off that it's not going to be by my works, lest anyone can boast. It's not what we do. It's not striving to be good enough. It is a completely mode of receiving. I felt less, less loved. And I can remember I was sort of a hippie back then, and I had my little VW bug, and I was driving to work. 
And I felt like God spoke this word into my heart, and he said, the heart is deceitful above all things who can know it. Now, I had never picked up a Bible before, and I had no idea that that was written in the book of Jeremiah. But God was trying to tell me that, you know, I was trying to conform my behavior to be good enough to be loved by God, but God wanted to get hold of my heart and transform my heart condition. That's what I love about this church. That's what I love about the people here. It's not about how you look outwardly. It's about what God's trying to do on the inside to change you and transform you. And then he begins to work on the the outside. So I began to, to realize God wanted to change the condition of my heart. And the hard thing is, is that's something that we really can't change on our own. I remember as a kid, I always had such a horrible, bad attitude, and my mom was always capping on my attitude. You better get that attitude right. Your attitude's going to really mess you up. And the thing was, is I was crazy wild, and all she did was point out attitude. And today I look and I think, wow, that's probably what God does. You know, he goes way past our behaviors, and he says, I'm trying to get to attitude. I'm trying to get to your heart condition. And I can remember always telling my mom, sort of blowing it off and say, who cares? I don't care. And the thing was, is I cared deeply. But even as a young person, I had the realization that there was no power within myself to come into agreement with my mom because I knew I wasn't capable of changing myself. And what a horrible position to be in to realize that I could not change myself. We can do a lot of things, but we really can't change our hearts. David said, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Psalms 139, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's anything wicked within me. Sometimes we don't even realize what's inside of us until we're going about and circumstances will draw it up. And I tell you, the more God is dealing in your life, the more those circumstances will get drawn up. The Bible is so full of people who encountered God and were transformed and changed. I was thinking about Moses. You know, he was born in the house of Pharaoh, even though he was Hebrew. He was well-educated. He could speak well. Uh, He ends up wanting justice for his people and commits a murder. Really, he was acting out prematurely because he was going to bring deliverance to his people, but he was trying to do it in his own flesh. So he ends up being punished and sent into the desert. And lo and behold, God shows up in a burning bush. And Moses is changed from being a self-confident man to complete dependence on God. With his natural strength broken, he leads Israel out of bondage. And I love Exodus 33 because I think it's one of my favorite verses where Moses is talking and he says, if your presence doesn't go with me, I don't want to go, God. And then he says, show me your glory. Moses has a cry in his heart that he's going to experience the glory of God. But the glory of God is so profound and powerful that God tells him, you know, Moses, if you want it, I'm going to have to hide you in the cleft of the rock because nobody can see the complete glory of God and still live. So he puts Moses in the cleft. Paul, our New Testament man, has an encounter. Pharisee of Pharisees lived his life by the letter of the law, proud, self-righteous, a hater of Christians. He sees a great light. He's knocked off a horse, and he encounters God 
He's blinded and he's led by the hand until he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul's completely humbled and his experience changed him. And it prepared him to do great things for God and he ends up writing almost the entire New Testament. Isaiah, a young man, adores, honors the king, King Uzziah, loves him, admires him, loves him, adores him, but the king dies. And something happens to Isaiah, young Isaiah, and he says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and he was lifted up in his train fills the temple. What do you do when something dies in your life? Something you love. Something that has almost become idle to you. What do you do when that something dies? Well, what Isaiah did is it gave him an incredible opportunity to see the Lord. To see the Lord high and lifted up. The idols were brought down and the Lord was lifted up. And that's what happens for each one of us. Isaiah sees the Lord and then, oh my, he sees himself and he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And then, you know, the seraphim flies by with that hot coal. Nobody tells that story like Jack Willis. And his sin is atoned for. And then he hears the call. So he sees the Lord, he sees himself, he comes into and experiences an encounter with God where he's forgiven, and then he experiences the call of God in his life. And the Lord says to him, who shall I send? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. One of the last encounters I wanted to talk about was Nebuchadnezzar. We don't really talk about him much. He's not highlighted that much in the scripture. He was the king of Babylon. He hated the house of God, burn it it to a crisp. Hated the people of God, worshipped false gods. And then it says Nebuchadnezzar, something happened to him. And this is another one of Jack Willis' stories. And he does it so well. It says he was driven away from the people. And he ate grass like cattle. His hair grew out like feathers and his nails became like the claws of a bird. Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament stayed in that condition seven years. That's a lengthy little time in the pasture. Seven years being a person and living among the cattle with claws and feathers and eating grass, that's worse than manna. Seven years later, he raises his his head to heaven And his insanity is restored. And he becomes great. Why? Because he has a changed heart. Those encounters with God, like Kevin was talking, that was a great word. It's the Holy Spirit and it's God himself that transforms our lives. We can only go so far in our natural abilities. But God takes it a step further and he brings us into places. And it's those encounters with God. Every one of those testimonies, if you were to talk to those people, you would know that they've had to have had some kind of encounter with God to have that kind of deliverance in their lives. 
And God does not just give us one encounter. He wants to give us more than one, multiple encounters. I remember growing up, my dad was married six times, and I made a vow when I was five years old to never trust anybody or never to need anybody. And so as a young person, I never saw myself getting married because I was so fearful of divorce. I never saw myself ever having children. I was so devastated by divorce. But I had some encounters with God that completely changed my life. And the first one was when I went forward at a Billy Graham crusade and I was born again. And I'll never forget when they gave the call to respond to the gospel. I didn't really understand what was going on, but I felt something going on. And I felt a power that was much bigger than myself lift me out of my seat because in my mind I did not feel worthy to come to Jesus. And in my mind I said I will never be able to follow Jesus because I will fail because all I've ever known my whole life was failure. And I thought, why even go forward? Because I'm not going to be able to do this. But God knew something I didn't know, that he was going to be able to do it through me. And so he sort of nudged me and lifted me out of my seat. And as I was walking down, the floodgates of heaven broke loose, and I could not stop crying. I could not even see. And by the time I got down to that field, I was hunched over, and I was sobbing so so much that the counselor really couldn't talk with me because I was having my own divine encounter with God. But as I was walking down those stairs, it was the first time that, one of the first times that I heard the voice of God, and he said, you will never know divorce. And at that moment, God renewed my mind. You know, it says we have the mind of Christ. So he renewed my mind in a stronghold that was so set that there was a vow that was made when I was five that I will never let anybody get close to me. My mom couldn't even touch me till I got born again at 21. So I did not have any physical touch. And so I was very locked up and broken. And so what happened is that divine encounter came. And not only did God begin to reveal his love to me in my heart, but he showed me that I was going to be married. I still wasn't that into being married, but um, I just went along and was serving God, and my mom said, you seem like you're going to be a nun because we grew up Catholic, you know, Christmas and Easter Catholic for me. And she said, you know, you seem like a nun. Are you going to ever get married or have children? And I really didn't care about any of that still. But God had renewed my mind. And so when I met Bruce, the very first time I talked to him, when I was walking away from him, God said, you're going to marry him. And so I went home and I said, Mom, I met the person I'm going to marry. And she said, what's his name? I said, I think it starts with a B. It's either Brian or Bruce. And so six months later, we were married. And so that was a real transformation for me to be married. And believe me, when God changes you, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Marriage was so hard for me, so hard. The first two or three years, I thought I was going to die, and I think I did. The things God wanted to die. I just thought, what is this all about? Because, you know, the weird thing is, you can be with people, you can live with people, but when you get committed in marriage, you know what happens? It's a whole different story. 
Because that commitment will draw up every single thing that represents family to you. And then you're going to be working on things that go so deep. And the only reason you can work on them is because now you're married and the other person hopefully can't run away from you. Huh? Even though you want to, they don't, hopefully. And if they do, that's sad. It shouldn't be the case. Because we should be able to be completely, you know, talk about an area where we're being conformed and transformed into the image of God. Marriage can do that. So the other area was me and Bruce got married, and I thought, wow, we're going to just do works for God. We're going to be in ministry, and I don't ever want to have children. Don't even talk to me about children. And I said, Bruce, do you want to have children? He's like, oh, I don't know. I mean, it was, it was sort of weird. We, it wasn't like we were, like, set on having children. So we were sitting in a meeting, and a, the minister sort of prophesied over me, and he said, and you're going to have children. And I was so disturbed, and I went up to him, and I said, oh, no, you're talking about spiritual children, aren't you? You don't mean natural children, do you? And, you know, he sort of got this grin on his face, and he said, no, I think we're talking natural children. And I thought, oh, I didn't even know what to do with that. And so that was my first experience going to counseling with Don Phillips. And many of you know Don Phillips because we send many of you to him. He's our resident counselor that's all the way in San Jose that has been a great blessing for 30 years. So Bruce and I went in to see Don, and, and, you know, I was just all like, what do you think? I said, I don't know why. I just don't feel like I'm afraid to have children. And in that time, what ended up coming up is my whole life I had seen ladies. My mom was a businesswoman, and so everyone around her, there was no complete family unit. So what I saw was I saw ladies have children become businesswomen, and then the husbands walk out. So in my head somehow, I got past the married part, but I connected having children with the husband walking out. And so the moment I had that revelation, it broke. So now I can be free to have kids. Something's starting to change inside of me. This is just one of my encounters with God. So I'm at a baby shower right around the same time, and I'm enjoying it, you know. It's all cute and the little clothes. And I I mean, I'm, I'm 26 years old. I've never even changed a diaper. I mean, I'm pathetic here. It's like this isn't where I live. And I'm sitting there and enjoying the celebration of this baby being born, and all of a sudden God shows up. And I tell you, The presence of God fell on me, and the love of God, and the reality of God. And I was like, God, what is this? What are you doing? And he was basically confirming in that moment, I've called you to have children. It was never an issue from that moment forward. And, oh, boy, where's my son? I don't know where he is, but I have to tell you, I have two incredible, incredible children. Wow, would I have been ripped off if I hadn't been in a position to allow God to change my heart. I would have missed out on an incredible blessing, incredible blessing. I was ordained 
to be in family. From a little girl, I longed for family. I wanted family more than a husband, more than anything. I was looking for family. I wanted a place to belong because family was so broken and fragmented. So God changed my heart. Divine encounters will change your heart. God is in the business of changing our hearts. It doesn't matter what God did with the Bible characters or what he does with us. There will come a day where we will stop. We will come out of places of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. We will raise our head toward heaven, and we will be changed. God wants to change us. How do you encounter God? You know, how do you encounter God? I mean, that's a valid question. God come. God meet me. I think it starts in a place of prayer. I'm desperate. In his word, you can encounter God in his word in a profound way. You can be reading the Bible and that Logos word can become Rhema, and it can jump out at you, and it can become so alive, and it can change and transform you. His presence, his spirit, divine appointments can change and transform your life. Dreams and visions can be a, a place where God, you can encounter God. Godly people, godly counsel, these are all places. If you position yourself in those places, you can see that God will come and he will do something and he will transform your life. And sometimes it's at times when you're very, very desperate and you need him very, very much that God then comes and he appears. Encounters with God will humble you. Every one of those encounters in the Bible, they are moments where we are greatly humbled before God and we see ourselves. Encounters with God will create a dependency on God. It will prepare you to do great things for God and it will bring honor to God. When God changes a heart, he creates a testimony. When God changes a heart, he creates a testimony. The scripture, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, becomes very real. My grace is sufficient for you because my strength shows up best in your weak places. So if we're looking to ourselves for change, we're going to get very disappointed. How many know that when you begin to look inward for change, it's very disillusioning? We're going to get disappointed. We're going to get frustrated. But if we look to God for change, we will be changed. The faith will come. And it will replace that fear. The love of God will come. And it will remove those places of fear that you're bound by. Purity will begin to be restored in your life to replace those places of lust. You know, lust is just a substitute for a counterfeit for real love. Um... Love's going to come in and replace anger. A lot of times when we feel angry, do you know it's because we're not really experiencing enough love? 
We're bankrupt people. We're having so many withdrawals taken out of our lives and not enough deposits. And deposits can come in many different ways. Hopefully they're coming straight from God, from the people close to us. Joy can come in and replace depression. Depression is a big deal in our, in our society today. More people are depressed than ever before. Uh, boundaries can replace compulsive, addictive behaviors. I didn't grow up with any boundaries. To, so to say no to myself was almost impossible. But when you're a person with no boundaries and you don't know how to say no to yourself, you get yourself into a lot of trouble. Purpose, replacing passivity. God wants to give us purpose. You know, I was thinking about the blessings of God and how, what we equate being blessed with. A lot of times we think being blessed means we have money, we have health, we have looks, we have good jobs, we have friends. And yeah, we are blessed by those things, and God gives us all things richly to enjoy. We are blessed. But do you know he calls us up higher? And he calls us up higher with his Sermon on the Mount. And when he calls us up higher into blessing, it's a different type of blessing than we know in the natural or what we've experienced. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor. Those who are humble who know their condition. They know their need. Blessed are those who mourn. They're experiencing a repentance. They have a sorrow for sin. Blessed are the meek. They're experiencing new birth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They have a spiritual appetite. Blessed are those who are merciful. It's an attribute that God shows those who are growing. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They'll experience vision and revelation in their life. Blessed is the peacemaker. They will be children of God. Their influence will bring reconciliation and peace in the storm. And last but not least, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The highest calling, the highest calling, suffering for Christ. Very different than the, the world knows blessing, isn't it? What we think of blessing isn't necessarily of what God considers blessing. We complain when we stub a toe. Oh my goodness, God is so much bigger. He's saying, I'm trying to bless you. If you'll embrace it, great things are going to come out of your life. Lord wants to change our hearts that we can know what real blessings are. You know, it's through repentance. I was thinking, you know, we're getting ready to celebrate it, celebrate a decade at Celebrate Recovery Wednesday. I hope everyone comes. It's going to be really awesome. But, you know, I think of some of the things that worked in the lives of people that have been a part of Celebrate Recovery and should be working in the Christian community. One is repentance, agreeing with God in what he sees. One is humility. One is a confession, accountability, service. You know, all those things are very important. Confession before God and man. 
service. You know, it says faith without works is dead. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. And some of those are the very hallmarks of what Celebrate Recovery stands for. I think anyone whose life has changed, they're going to experience things that they're not going to always necessarily understand. But if, if we will submit and commit ourselves to God and his perfect purposes, we won't be disappointed. So in closing, you know, I thought of these different people in the Old and New Testament, and the last person that came to my mind was little Zacchaeus, the tax collector. You know, he wanted to get a closer look at Jesus, so he climbed a tree. But Jesus was calling him into an encounter. And he said, Zacchaeus, get down out of that tree. Today I want to come visit you. And that day Zacchaeus' life was changed. And maybe you're here today and you're just thinking, you know, I think I want to get a little closer look at Jesus. I'll climb that tree, and I want to get a glimpse. And maybe Jesus is saying to one of you here today, I want to visit you. Get out of the tree. Today, I want to come, and I want to visit you. I want to have an encounter with you, and your lives will be changed. We're going to close, and um, the worship team is going to come up. And I want to close because I think any time we have an opportunity to have an encounter with God, we should try to do that. And so we're going to stand as we close in worship. And we're not going to even wait today for the slide to come up. There's a slide that comes up that says, if you need prayer, to come forward. But as you stand up, why don't you use this day as an opportunity to present yourself to God? as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Present yourself to him. Present your body. It is the living temple of the Holy Spirit. And come, come up. Come up and, and experience worship and allow God to encounter you and see what he wants to do for you. And maybe you're a Zacchaeus today and you're like, I'm staying in the back row in my tree. You know, Jesus can get to that tree, and he can visit you. But I think it's just an exciting time every time we gather together that we have an opportunity to get a little closer to the one that is the lover of our soul. Thank you.